support. Today, I want to continue our series called Anxious for Nothing. And if you got your Bible, go ahead and go to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. I want to cover a story about a man named Elisha. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, we preached about uh, his predecessor, Elijah. Now, Elijah, uh, we talked about at the end of that message two weeks ago, was carried away in a chariot of fire. And Elisha was there when that happened, and, and he saw Elijah get carried away. And the Bible says that um, the mantle that, that Elijah had upon him fell to the ground, and Elisha picked it up. And, and throughout that process, he received uh, what Scripture calls a double portion anointing of Elijah. And so today we're going to pick up with another story uh, from, from Elijah's successor, Elisha. And it starts here. In 2 Kings chapter number 6. And this is what the Bible says. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel. And he would tell the king of Israel, Don't go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on alert there. So you guys, this is a pretty simple story, right? Kind of making sense. Elisha is the king of Israel's inside man to know what the Arameans are going to do so that the Israelites can make appropriate plans to either avoid fighting or to be prepared for a battle that the Arameans want to bring to them. Verse 11 The king of Aram became very upset over this. How many of you think, yeah, of course he's upset. And he said, he called his officers together and he demanded to them, which of you is the traitor? Because he's thinking there is somebody on the inside who is spying on me and reporting back to, to Israel. He says, which of you is the traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? And they say, it's not us, my lord, the king. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Come on, some of y'all know what I mean when I say uh, somebody read your mail. Well, Elisha is reading that dude's mail. Something, I mean, like, you know, confidential packages, apparently. And, and he says, it's not us. The Elisha, the prophet, is telling the king of Israel everything you speak, even in your own bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send the troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God, or when Elisha's servant got up early the next morning, he walks outside, he sees troops. Come on, say that word, troops. He sees horses. Say horses. And he sees chariots of the enemy all around them. And he goes back inside and he tells Elisha, Oh, sir, what will we do now? Come on, has anybody ever went through something in your life where you looked at the circumstances surrounded you, surrounding you and you said, what am I going to do now? What, how are we going to make it? How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to get through this? 
What are we going to do now? The young man cried to Elisha. The title of today's sermon is really a question, a question that I want to give you some answers to. And it is this, what do you do when anxiety attacks? And I want to be really practical today. I want to give you some stuff that you can write down because here is the the truth. We've all gone through situations in our life where we have said, what am I going to do now? Or how are we going to get through this now? Some of us are going through those situations right now. We are looking at circumstances in our life and we are asking ourselves, we're talking to our spouse, we're talking to some friends, we're talking to family, and we're saying, we may not be using the exact words, but we are in essence saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and the hard truth is this. If you, if you live past the next, I don't know, couple of weeks, I can almost guarantee you that something else in your life is going to occur where you're going to say, Oh man, what are we going to do now? How are we going to get through this? Because that, and this is, this, is, this is not meant to be bad news, but I don't want to lie to you. That is the nature of life. Life is a series of challenges that we face and we overcome and we get better and we get stronger. And then we face the next series of challenges and we, 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 we overcome them and we, we face them and we get better because of them. And till the day you die, the Lord is doing a work in you. And one of the primary ways he does the work in you, in you is not taking the problems out of your life. Come on, this is true preaching. It's not a lot of amen preaching right now. But allowing you to face the problems, not facing them alone, though, facing them with him on your side. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to get down to the practicality of what do we do when anxiety attacks. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these real people and these real stories that we can look to today, that we can glean from, that we can apply these principles in our life. And so that, God, when anxiety attacks, when life happens, when things don't go as planned. We, we don't have to wonder what to do or how to do, Lord, that we can look to you, that we can look to your word, and that we can look to those who have come before us, and we can learn, and we can grow, and we can apply those truths to our life today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Lifehouse said amen. 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 I think we can all look back on these moments in our lives when we've asked the question in one way or another, what are, what are we going to do? And, and, and this occurs, sometimes it occurs uh, kind of like a worldwide or national event happens, right? It could be, you know, many of you in this room, you are very familiar, you live through and you firsthand experience the events of September 11th. And, and there was this, you know, this over the entire country, this feeling of what? Is life going to look like now? How are we going to move forward as a people, as a community, and as a country? And, and you know, I look back and I think about that, that time. And one of the things that I remember most is devastating and as horrible as those attacks were and as just ruthless and tragic as they were, one of the beautiful things that occurred from it was the, the incredible unity and patriotism of people coming together, loving each other, caring for each other in a way like, let's just be honest, we haven't seen that now for about 20 years in our, in our country, that is. Um, just three years ago, as, as we as a country and even as a world faced the COVID pandemic, something that we honestly 
have no idea how to, to handle and ask the question, what do we do now? What does life look like now? Just this past week in Tennessee, my goodness, it's been a hard week for our state. Another tragic shooting, devastating storms that destroyed property and took lives. Even military accidents happening just nearby with people that even in our church have connections to. Things happening on the world stage that we can look at and we know that, you know, while it may not affect me today, at some point in time in my life, that, that might actually have some ramifications for me and for my family, and certainly for my children and my grandchildren. What, what do we do? How do we handle it? How do we face it? And then it, and then it gets more personal, right? A loved one suddenly and tragically passes away, prematurely dying well before we feel like they should have. I think many of us have gone through those moments in life as well. A, a loss of a job. Maybe, maybe the, the position that we had is no longer needed. Or maybe the company is experiencing financial difficulty and layoffs are just a natural byproduct of that. And now we don't know how we're going to provide for our family. And not only is money a problem, but just this feeling of purpose and, and what do I do with my life becomes something that we wrestle with. Maybe you've made an investment in a relationship that has gone south. Through no fault of your own. And now you're dealing with the repercussions of someone that you loved. Who you thought loved you. Only to now face the harsh reality that it was not what it seemed. What do you do now? An ominous phone call from your doctor. A few days after what you thought was a routine physical. And knowing that this is not good news. What do you do? What do you do now? When that feeling in your gut, you guys know what I'm talking about, when your stomach goes from this position to that position, right? And your heart moves from here to about right here, and you can feel it in your ears, right? What do you do now? When when you wake up in the morning in the middle of the night with your child, God forbid, throwing up in the carpet, of course, because the bathroom's too far away. And you've got plans the next day. You've got things you've got to do. You've got to be at work. You've got this going on. What do you do now? What do you do now when you're driving down the interstate and all of a sudden your car starts making a ticking sound? It's not a bomb. It's a transmission. It's a, you know, you know what do you do now when the check engine light goes from being that constant uh, decorative illumination from your dash panel to start blinking, you know, and then it starts blinking and then smokes. What do you do now? What do you do now when it's raining all day and all night and you notice a wet spot in your ceiling and you go, oh, that's not going to be cheap. Come on. This is real life, isn't it? This is, this is, this is what real life really looks like. What do you do now? What am I going to do when anxiety attacks? What am I going to do when life happens? And not to be crude and not to, to, to say something, and certainly I won't say it as we have all heard it before, but what do you do when it hits the fan? You know what I'm saying? What do you do? Elisha has had this connection with the Lord, and he is using that to help protect the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, 
and he's, he's telling the king of Israel what the king of Aram is planning to do. And the king of Aram, and I don't really blame the guy. Like, he's had enough. Like, he's like, okay, this is not fair. Unfair advantage to Israel over here. They've got insider information. We're not giving it to them. And so the king of Aram says, you know, I'm going to go take care of this guy myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of the insider here. So he sends the troops, he sends the chariots, he sends the horses, not to fight the kingdom, kingdom of Israel, but to go take Elisha. And the young man, the servant that helped and assisted Elisha, walks out early in the morning thinking everything's going okay. Life is, and this is how it always happens, right? You, walk, you wake up and life is going great, and then you pull out your phone and you got that text message. You got that email. You got that note from your boss that says, hey, I need to see you first thing this morning. Right? And, and, and so that's essentially what happens. He looks out into the hills and he sees the troops. He sees the chariots. He sees the horses. And he goes back to Elisha in verse 15. And he says, oh, sir, what will we do now? Elisha told him the very first thing he said to him. And this is the fourth week I've preached about anxiety and how we are called by Paul in Philippians to be anxious for nothing. And I think every single week I read some verse from some part of the Bible where it says this exact same phrase. Elisha tells him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Elisha says to him, there are more on our side than theirs. And you got to think, that servant, Brad, that servant was like, bro, um, I was just out there. I, I didn't see anybody on our side. I saw a bunch on their side, but I didn't see anybody on our side. Elisha says, no, there's more on our side than theirs. And then he be, Elisha prays, oh, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And, and that servant, he's sitting there, right? He's just like, what do you, first of all, I can see. Okay. I mean, can we be real people here? The guy, the servant who's just walked outside, he's looked at the hills, and he walks in. He says, what are we going to do now, Elisha? And Elisha says, don't be afraid. And then he begins to pray. He says, there's more on our side than theirs. And then he prays, Lord, open his eyes. you got to know this servant is straight up thinking, Elisha is an old man, and he's lost his mind. <laughs> First of all, there ain't nobody out there on our side, number one. Number two, uh, I can see just fine. I'm a lot younger than you, Elisha. I don't, I, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I can see. Apparently you're crazy and you think I'm blind, but I can see. But that's not exactly how the story winds up. Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he goes back outside and he looks up and he saw the hillside around Elisha was not just filled with troops and horses and chariots of the enemy, but was also filled with horses and chariots of fire that belonged to the armies of God Almighty. It's this really cool supernatural moment that happened for Elisha and for this man. Now, what's crazy, something that we really would do well to, to, to think about and to hold on to, is that Elisha does not pray, nor does he receive a change of circumstance, but a change of perspective. And there's a lot of things in our lives right now, we're praying the wrong prayers. We're asking God to take the problems away. When we should be asking the Lord to help us see the problems with a new perspective. 
Now, I know that's not easy, and I know that's not popular, but regardless, it is true. Because the problems that you are facing, while they may not be pleasant, the Lord has allowed them in your life for a reason and for a purpose. To show you that he is able to take care of you through the storm. To show you that he is faithful in the middle of problems. And to show you that he will be there even in the pain. So what do you do? When anxiety attacks, what do you do when life happens? Number one, this is going to be real quick, real practical, and real easy. I want to encourage you to even to write it down. Number one, reign in your emotions. Reign in your emotions. Elisha told the young man, don't be afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me to stop worrying, I'm like, shut up. That's what I want to say to them. When, when, when I, and I love my wife, and she is, listen, she, she, she is one of my greatest positive influences to help build my faith in my life. But when I share with her things, and she doesn't do this anymore because she's learned it doesn't work well with me, but I used to tell her things I was worried about, and she'd say, just don't worry about that. And I'm thinking, well, if it was that easy, I wouldn't have even talked to you about it. I would just stop doing it. I can't just not worry. But, but he, this man tells, or Elisha tells the young man, just don't be afraid. And here's the deal. Here's what I want to say to you today. Squeaky voice and all. Guys, you going to help me out, okay? I am not saying to deny your emotions. But I am saying that do not be enslaved by your emotions. And there's a difference. Uh, don't deny your emotions. Here's the deal. You've got to, uh, to feel your feelings, so to speak. But don't be enslaved by your emotions. Because your emotions were given to you as a gift of God meant to serve you, not to lead you. And our world and our culture and even our church has really flipped that upside down. And we've adopted this mentality of if you feel it, it must be true. If you feel it, it must be right. If you feel it, then it must be real. But I want to tell you right now, I know for certain that's not fact. Because if I ate everything I felt like eating, guys, I couldn't fit through these doors. Because your boy loves to eat. And he doesn't like to sweat, okay? So, so I'm, I mean, I'm talking about the double doors I couldn't fit through, okay? So I, don't, I know for a fact that... that Doing what you feel is not healthy and it is not right. Because many of you today, even though it's already after lunchtime, if you did everything you felt, you wouldn't be at church today. You came to church today, many of you, not because you felt like it, but because you know you needed to do it. Do you know what you call a person who does everything they feel? A baby. They poop wherever the heck they want to poop at. They feel the need to go, and then they just go. They don't ask you if it's convenient time for you. They don't ask you if this is a nice Easter outfit that needs to be preserved for pictures. They just let her rip tater chip right there, right wherever they are. When they get hungry, they go, ah, give me food to eat. They don't care if you've got something else going on. They don't care if you're on the phone or if you're watching a movie. When they say it's time to eat, it's time to eat. 
When, when they want attention, they let you know they want attention. And they don't care how much you say to them, hey, just a minute, I got, you know, just wait a minute. No, they don't care because they are babies. But as you get older, you learn that you do not always do what you feel like doing because if you always do what you feel like doing, you will ruin your life. If, if I drove as fast as I always wanted to drive, I would not have a driver's license anymore. Okay? Yeah. The older I get, the more I realize I should not do what I feel like doing. Because feelings and emotions are meant and given to me to serve me, not to lead me. Emotions are given to us by God to reveal us to us. And so when you start having a feeling that is in, in disagreement with what you know to be right and what you know to be true, what you should do is not act on that feeling, but investigate why you feel that way. Because that feeling is a symptom of another problem that's inside of you that you need to address. The feeling is not the problem. It is the fruit of the problem. Your emotions do not define you, right? Your feelings do not define you. So, so first thing you got to do when, when life happens, when anxiety attacks, is, is rein in your emotions. Don't allow them to lead you. Don't allow them to control you. But take, take note of where you are emotionally and understand where you are emotionally so that you can then do what you need to do to help you move from an unhealthy emotional place to a healthy emotional place, which leads us to the second thought, num second thought number two, restore your faith in God. Elisha began to pray for this young man. He began to pray that he would not be afraid. He began to pray that he would have spiritual sight. See, it is okay to feel your feelings, but it's not okay to follow your feelings. It is, however, okay to follow and to lean into your faith. My faith and your faith, it cannot be in our circumstances that I can see with my earthly eyes, but rather it has to be in my heavenly Father who I know relationally. Paul says it like this, we live by faith, not by sight. Which leads me to the third thought. I told you, quick, fast, in a hurry this morning. There, Reese is waiting. We reign in our emotions, we restore our faith in God, and then we regain our spiritual sight. We regain our spiritual sight. Elisha prayed specifically that the Lord would open his servant's eyes so that he could see the truth and not the facts. And there, that's a key difference that we need to understand as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of God. That we do not live by the facts that we see, rather we live by the truth that we know. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth that we know. So my, my life, my circumstances, my surroundings, and my situations are not defined by the facts that I see with my earthly eyes. Rather, they are defined by the truth I know in who he is and who he has called me to be. So I get the phone call from the doctor that says, hey, this is bad news. I have truth in him that he is my healer. Come on, yeah, I, the bills start stacking up and the paychecks start going down. I, I don't live on the facts of what I see. I live in the truth of knowing that my, that job is not my provider. He is my provider. 
See, what we need, and I'm not saying that the Lord does not sometimes give us a change of circumstance, because he certainly does. And we see that time and time again in Scripture played out in men and women's lives where people pray and the Lord intervenes and the problems either disappear or the circumstances change. But I know one thing for sure, that even if the circumstances don't change, when you pray, his number one priority is that we would be changed. You see, when we go to the Lord in prayer, our first pursuit should not be that he would change things for us. Our first pursuit should always be that he would change things in me. Because what the Lord is doing in me is infinitely more important than what the Lord is doing for me. Because the purpose of my life is not to arrive safely at death. The purpose of my life is to be more and more conformed every single day of my life to the image of Christ. And so, so we, we, we regain our spiritual sight. The servant went outside and the facts told him, we, we're really outnumbered. There's just two of us. There's me and Elisha, and he's lost his mind. It doesn't say that, but this is my sermon, and so that's how I'm preaching it. The servant walks out, and he says, I see troops, I see horses, and I see chariots. Elisha says, go look again. But don't look with these eyes. Look with eyes of faith. And he walks out, and he sees, hey, there actually is more on our side than is on their side. And then, as we reign in our emotions not controlled by our feelings, but rather following our faith as we restore our faith in God and as we regain that spiritual sight. This is so simple. But number four, let's remember the fundamentals. I feel like a basketball coach or something when I say that. Let's remember the fundamentals. There's a lot of fundamentals I could bring to the table to you this morning, but just three that I want to share with you very quickly. The first one is that we pray without ceasing. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. And here's the hard truth. Some of us could never stop praying because we've never truly started praying. For many of us, our relationship with God looks a lot like that friend that you haven't spoken to in 15 years that suddenly has a new business venture and they call you one day, they Facebook message you one day out of the blue and say, hey, I'd love to chat with you. And you think, oh, you know, that's great. Josh wants to reconnect with me. I haven't talked to Josh in a long time. I would love to chat with you, Josh. And you pick up the phone and you talk for 15 or 20 minutes and you think, oh, this is a great conversation. It's so good. It's so good to reconnect. It's so good to chat. It's, you know, how's life been? And they say, well, hey, before, before I let you go, I just want to tell you about something I'm doing. I just need five people to partner with me. And I just felt like, you know, Justin's, a, Justin's somebody that I know would really be a good partner in this. And then you, and then you realize, oh, they don't, 
They don't want to talk to me. They just want something from me. And a lot of us, that's what our relationship with the Lord looks like. He's a get out of jail free card. He's a, you know, when things are going great, he's there and I'm glad he's there, but we're not pursuing that relationship. But hey, when, when life happens, when anxiety attacks, you know, that's the, he's in my back pocket. I know I can go to him. And you can. You absolutely can. And I'm not saying he won't be there. But how much better for you would it be? How much better of a relationship situation would it be between you and him that, that he didn't just hear from you when you had a need? He didn't just hear from you when you were in trouble. He didn't just hear from you when anxiety attacks or when life happens or when it hits the fan. He hears from you every day. He hears from you in the morning before you get out of the bed. He hears from you as you get in your vehicle, as you begin to pray over your neighbor's homes, as you drive by their houses. He hears from you as you're walking the aisles of the grocery store, picking up milk on the way home for dinner. He hears from you as you pray over your meal. He hears from you as you pray with your family in the evening. He hears with you as you pray with your spouse before bed. He hears from you in the good days, on the good times and he hears from you in the bad days and in the bad times and when you call he's not surprised when you call he's not suspicious about your ulterior motive because you talk with him daily the fundamental that we need to remember is that prayer is not something we do when we have a need it's something that we do because of who we are in Christ and we do it all the time So fundamental number one, we pray without ceasing. Fundamental number two, we praise God, which sounds kind of strange, but let me say it like this. You have two options in life when, when it happens, when life happens. You can see God through the lens of your problem, or you can see your problem through the lens of your God. And, and, and whatever, whatever lens you choose to pick up will completely change what you see and when you praise now I'm not just talking about walking into church and lifting hands even though you're tired of me saying that over and over again I'm talking about you say Lord I thank you for this day even though my roof started leaking even though my car battery is dead even though even Bobby even though a limb fell on our truck I saw that brother we're praying with you Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you even though my kid threw up in the carpet in the middle of the night. Lord, I'm, I'm going to praise you even though I got that email from my boss that I'm not looking forward to that meeting. Lord, I praise you even though the doctor just called me with that report. Lord, I praise you. I praise you even though right now we're looking around at our world and we go, oh my God, how, what are we going to do? Lord, we praise you because when you put your God in his proper place, your God will put your problems in their proper place. You know, I love... I love how Elisha, the first thing he said was, don't be afraid. I said this in first service, and it wasn't in my notes, so that's why I forgot to say it now, but I just want to remind you of this. Paul tells Timothy, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. And then we like to just move on to the next part. But he has given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. But I just want to remind you that any time fear begins to overtake you, that's not from the Lord. And I don't want anything in my life that he hasn't given me. So anytime you begin to feel fear, 
That is a, a great opportunity to say, Lord, I'm coming to you right now. There is something that's trying to work inside of me that's not from you. I'm going to give that thing to you, and I'm going to lift up my hands. I'm going to lift up my voice, and I'm going to praise you because you're good. Lord, I don't really feel like praising right now, but since when was praising you about how good I feel? Rather, it's about praising you because of who you are and how good you are. So I'm going to praise you no matter how I feel. Because if I only praise you when I feel like praising you, then I'm really worshiping me and not you in the first place. So we, we pray without ceasing. We, we praise Him. The good days, the bad days, the mediocre days, the easy days, the hard days. And then, because I have to make everything start with the same letter if I can. Number three, we protect ourselves. Because you have a responsibility to take care of yourself in this fight. In this world, in this war that we fight in the spirit. Paul tells the church in Ephesus to put on the full armor of God. He says this, a final word in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. He does not say to them, be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. He says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Come on, you better help me out right now. You're going to make me mad. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Do you know that any person in your life, any person on TV, any person of any political party, they are not your enemy. Come on, they are an image bearer of God and they are a person in need of the transformational power of the gospel. But we do fight a war and we do have an enemy. They're just not flesh and blood enemies. Our fight is against, Paul says, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, everybody say therefore, because we got to fight to fight. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes. Listen, I love some Air Force Ones, but I'd rather put on the shoes that, that come from the peace of the good news of the gospel so that I can be fully prepared. Verse 16, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Verse 17, Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The fundamentals essentially are this. Pray, praise, and it doesn't start with the same letter, but pick up the Word and fight the fight. Listen, if this is not in your heart, you don't have the tools that you need. As long as this book stays on these pages and doesn't live inside of you, you're missing out on all that God has for you. Yeah, that's good. So when anxiety attacks, I gave you lots of points, but hopefully it'll serve as a practical tool for you. It's as easy and as tempting as it is to just lash out emotionally, to say whatever you want to say, to react however you want to react. I want to encourage you because you're not a baby. You're not an immature person. Rather, you are someone that the Lord is bringing into full spiritual maturity in Christ. I want to encourage you to rein in your emotions. Don't react Rather, respond in accordance with his word. And then, and then restore your faith in God. 
and, and ask the Lord, Lord, help me see what you're doing here as you regain that spiritual sight. And then go back. Go back to the fundamentals. Go back to the things that you know that you should do that we don't always do. Let me ask you this question. How much better would your life be if you always did what you knew you should do? How much more money would you have? How much physically healthier would you be? How much better would your relationships be? How much better would your spiritual life be? How much better would your job position be if you always did the thing you knew you were supposed to do? In other words, remember the fundamentals. Go back to what you know works and do the things that you know you should do. It's not complicated, but it is difficult because it takes somebody who is willing to say, okay, my emotions don't lead me. My faith leads me. I'm going to see this the way the Lord is calling me to see it. And then I'm going to do the work that I can do. Come on, will you stand with me this afternoon? I want to invite everyone all across the room for just a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around but me in this moment. And I want to ask you right now, if there's anyone in this room who is far from the Lord, this message, these principles, they're good, but apart from a real relationship with Jesus, they're, they're irrelevant. They don't matter. They won't work. So the first priority today is where are you with God and where is God with you? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you today would say, Pastor Drew, I am far from the Lord, but I am ready for that to change. I want a real relationship with Jesus beginning right now. If that's you, would you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right where you are. I see you, sir. I see you, sir. I see two gentlemen. Is there anybody else in the house today? Anybody else in the house today? I see you, ma'am. Church family, three and four individuals have raised their hand. Can we just pray this together? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Can we pray this together as a family along with these four individuals? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Please forgive me of my sin. Become Lord of my life. I want to live for you in everything I do, everything I speak, everything I think. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate the Lord? Now, here's the altar call for today. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to shout. We're going to sing a song of victory. Not because of what we see, but because of who we know. We're going to lift up a shout of praise to him today. Not because of how we feel, but because of what he's done.